Good evening, my dear friends. May the Lord bless you for coming. God bless you. I would like to open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, as where we were just reading, and we will continue this series that we started quite some time ago, the title, Fruit of the Spirit, Practical Guide to Growth. Before I continue, I would like to ask all of you, please, let's stand one more time and pray specifically for this word. Father, we give all things into your hands. We give you the glory, the praise, and the thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that we can be gathered together in the house of prayer, where we are able to seek your face and praise your name. I ask you, Father, teach us to pray, teach us to seek your face, Teach us, Lord, to grow in your word, Lord, for the only thing that we can do in order to grow in you is to get to know you more. Father, bless us with this. Lord, bless your word. Make me small and make yourself big, Lord, and may you receive all the glory, praise, credit, and honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Looking at the text, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. Here are the words, I'm sure we know them all by heart. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against that such things there is no law. When we say the word fruit, or when you hear the word fruit first... What usually tends to come to your mind when you hear fruit? Apple. What else? Say, say it louder. I don't hear you. Peaches, cherries, strawberries, a fruit. Tomato, right? It's a fruit. Okay, so anyways, you think of a fruit. You start thinking of something you can eat right away. Well, all right, let's pause there and let's go back further how many of you actually think of the very whole process of the fruit from the very beginning stages to the very final product to the beginning stages of when it needs to be planted the tree that produces the fruit to the final product how many of you looking at the fruit and Think of the process of how the fruit grows and the fruit formation. Let me just read you a few things that I began to think about. The tree is planted. Is it planted by itself or is it planted by a similar tree or slightly different? Why? It needs to be pollinated. You could take a, an apple tree and plant all these apple trees of the same kind. Are they going to grow apples? Well, unless it has a pear by it, which it can cross-pollinate. But you can put one of its own trees on its own. Will it continue to grow and produce fruit? Well, no, because it needs to be pollinated by a different fruit tree. Well, unless it's an orange. Oranges don't need that. They can grow on their own. You go down South California, they're like weeds. They grow everywhere. They don't need cross-pollination. But then we'll talk about the bees later. Hold up. We plant the tree. Then you water it. Did you check the soil? What chemistry is going on there? Is it acidic or is it more base? 
All that plays a role. All right, we continue with the tree. Then you have to water it. You have to prune it. You have to cultivate the ground often. You have to spray it with pesticide. You can also spray your orchard with a calcium in order to strengthen the apple, or you spray it with other sorts of sprays. And, and if you don't spray your trees with a pesticide, you won't be able to harvest your fruit. Your apple's going to have black dots everywhere, or it's going to have a worm inside, or it's going to have some sort of other issue. All right, continuing on. Then the weather comes in. It can cause damage to your tree. Frost freezes the bud. You have a spring comes around. Here we are in springtime. And the little flower comes. You all know what I'm saying. A flower comes on the branch. And all of a sudden, frost comes around. What happens? Does, does anyone know this? Does anyone know this? Just lift your hand if you know something about this. Okay, some of us. Frost comes around. It freezes that bud. That bud freezes, and it won't produce a fruit because it's frozen off. If you take your finger and you stick it into something really cold, it can freeze and become frostbite eventually. Well, same thing with this delicate flower, except right when it goes below freezing, it's damaged. All right, weather, freezing temperatures. If the buds survived the winter and the spring and the cold weather that came along, then it needs to be pollinated either by the other fruit tree or by a bee. Well, all right, you have an orchard. You have all these fruit trees. You have different ones. You have similar ones. They're cross-pollinated. Why do you need a bee then? Well, and the bee will fly along from flower to flower, and it will take seeds from one and pollinate to the other. And when the bee does that, even where there's trees that are similar to one another, it will actually produce and cause that tree to produce more fruit. So bees take a huge have a huge effect on the trees. All right, but then the quality depends. The fruit depends on the quality, on the amount of sunlight, whether it's cold at night or hot at night, hot during the day, cold during the day. If you have cold days, your peach will never be sweet. Why are apples grown so well in Washington? Does anyone know? It's not just the soil. It's the perfect climate. You have really cold nights that can go up to 30 degrees. And then 10 hours later, you got really hot days that can hit up to 70. So these huge temperature swings actually cause the fruit, the apple, to become more sweet. So the later on into the season, the sweeter the fruit, the sweeter the apple. All right, we move forward. So then you have hot days, you got cold nights, little water, hot, little water, no water, and finally, the responsibility of the farmer. If the farmer is not responsible to produce a fruit or a crop, then the crop's gone. I was speaking to a farmer one time, and he said, when it was really hot outside, one of our main water lines popped. It's a 12-inch pipe, and the watermelon field didn't get water for 24 hours and because it didn't get water for 24 hours the harvest of watermelon is ruined 
In the same way, that same farmer told me when he was younger, he said, I had a field of cantaloupe. And I watered them and watered them. I thought, man, these are going to be the best cantaloupe ever. But they were all ruined. And I asked my dad, Dad, why, why is the cantaloupe ruined? He said, you watered it too much. And so the crop is ruined. And you got no harvest. So the responsibility of the farmer, in the same way, fruit produced by a Christian cannot be done alone. To produce fruit, it takes time and reliance on God. In order to live a life that is spirit-led, this means a consistent and constant relationship with God. And you may think, what is the point of all those little facts, how a fruit grows and how it's produced and so on and so forth? The reason is this. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy takes a lot of resources, and it takes a lot of extra help from the outside, from the human side of things, to produce a fruit. So, okay, then we take a look at the fruit of the Spirit here. Love and joy, for example. Let's take a look at love. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says it very well. Luke 10, 27, here it is. I'll go from 26. And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Taking a look at just this one fruit that's produced love and taking just this one commandment that Christ gave. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If every single person in the world had this fruit, love, and did this very commandment that Christ gave, what would the world look like? We wouldn't have history, World War II, one. We wouldn't have the local news. We wouldn't have a lot of things. It's just, that's just it. There would be no divorces. There would be no broken families. There would be no alcohol, there would be no drugs, there would be no rape, there would be none of this in the world if everybody just loved God. If everybody just looked at that first commandment and followed it, and then the second one, and the third one. Just take one of those commandments and imagine the world if everybody did just one of those. What would the world look like? Well, it would look a whole lot different than now. So practically, how do we love? Looking at scripture, Apostle Paul gave us an example of his own life. He came, he would build up a new church in the city, say Corinth. He would come to Corinth, he would build up a church, or he would go to Thessalonica, he would start up a church, and he would tell them, especially in Thessalonians 1, 2, he would say, you see how I worked with my own hands not to be a burden to anyone of you. So that you wouldn't think we're robbing the churches or robbing you. Many times he would come and he would preach during the day and teach during the day. And then at night time he would be working with his own hands. He was a tent maker. And so he produced something in order to receive funds for himself to fund his own mission. He wasn't going on, what do you call it? 
uh, GoFundMe and saying, please sponsor my trip. This is, it, it irks me when I see a 20-year-old something saying, please sponsor me for my trip. Why? You can work that night. Apostle Paul gave an example. He didn't burden anyone. He said, I loved you, and this is how I proved it. I worked, and I gave to you, and I laid down my own life for you. In the sense that he gave a foundation. Now believe what I show you. Not just speak and teach. Apostle Paul could have spoken all day long. But he didn't only speak. Because when you read the epistles. Every time you read Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, anything. You always see theologically deep. Chapter 1, 2, 3. And then it gets very practical. It gets very, very practical. Love one another. Serve one another. Listen to one another. Think of others more highly than yourself. This is how he teaches in this manner. And he himself gave an example. All right, so for us to do that and, and to know that, here's a question. When we love God and when we produce the fruit of love, what does it look like? And how do we continue to produce love in our life? First of all, we can never produce love on our own. We always need God. Just like a tree needs another tree to pollinate it or a bee to pollinate it, in the same way we cannot love on our own unless God gives us love. Scripture teaches that God is love. If we don't believe this and we say it's not here, it doesn't exist, then where does love come from? And where did it come from, from the very beginning? Has anyone ever given you a theory? One time, uh, a, a, an agnostic said, well, it was produced through evolution. I said, no way. That's totally opposite of love. Survival of the fittest, the higher species doesn't think of the younger, the lesser species. You know, God is love. All right? So, because God is love, he gives us the ability to love others. And the Apostle Paul gave us an example. Christ gave an example. He gave himself for the church. Love. Without God, there's no love. If there's no God in our heart, in our life, we cannot love. And so we can't produce the fruit of love. Let's go on to joy. True joy. Psalm chapter 16, verses 10. Psalm chapter 16, verses 10. It says these words. Verses 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to shoal, or let your Holy One see corruption. Taking a look at this verse, who is the... King David speaking about. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. Christ's body never saw corruption. And where is the joy found? It's found here in Christ. I have set, I have set the Lord always before me. I won't be shaken. My heart is glad. I'm secure. My heart rejoices. I rejoice in Christ. I rejoice in the fact that Christ resurrected and he lives. He is my true joy. Here's a question. How do you stay joyful? How do you stay joyful? 
all the time. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Scripture teaches. By obedience, that's a good one. What else? Reading the Word. Somebody said that. That's right. Good. There is no other joy than outside of Christ. And amen. You think that there is joy outside of Him? There isn't. Talk to any person who does not have Christ and there is no joy. You'll find brokenness. You know, the book of Proverbs says that even a, a, a face that's smiling and laughing can hide a broken heart. I paraphrase that verse. But a person's broken heart can be hiding behind a face that's smiling. There's that one song that came out years ago, and it's a secular song. I heard it everywhere. You go to a store. You go anywhere. You're walking anywhere. You hear it. And it goes something like this. And I'm happy all the day long. And it's got a high-pitched sound. You know what I'm saying? I'm clap, clap with me. You know what I'm singing about? Yeah, I, I, you guys know it. Okay? That is a fake song. Fake joy. They're forcing themselves to be happy. Christ gives true joy. So how do we stay joyful? Being obedient to the word of God. Being obedient to God. So God gives us love. And he gives us the ability to love. God gives us joy, true joy, when we are obedient to him and stay in his word. Now peace. Philippians chapter 4 speaks about peace that surpasses all understanding. Who has experienced this peace before? As Christians, I think we should all be lifting our hands. Peace that surpasses all understanding. You don't understand with your mind. Why am I at peace? But I'm at peace because Christ has given that peace. He is the Prince of Peace, Scripture teaches. Well, in order to have peace, we need to have Christ in our life. We need to have Christ in the center of our hearts, in the center of our thinking, in the center of our absolutely everything. And when we have Christ in the center of everything, who is the Prince of Peace, then we are able to rest in Him. How can a person rest if there's no peace? You can't. Can you sleep if you don't have peace? No, you can't. Maybe, maybe some of you have. I can't. If I don't have peace, I can't sleep. Scripture teaches, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Praise God for his word. Do you rest in Christ and in the peace that he offers? It's very practical. Reading God's word, you read promises. Promises like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You take this verse and can you apply it to your heart, to your life? Reading God's word. People are panicking out there during this COVID. Suicide rate is higher for the past few months than it did all of last year, along with alcoholic-related deaths and drug-related deaths. These have surpassed in these few months in the U.S., over all of last year. There is no peace with people if they don't have Christ. And so you're looking for a way out. What can calm me down? 
but there's nothing. It can only be Christ. So when you have Christ, when you have his peace, you are able to rest because he offers that peace. And so if you are not at peace with Christ today, if you're not producing the fruit of peace, examine your heart. Examine your life. Say, Lord, I'm not at peace. I'm not at ease. I need you to come and bring me peace and patience. We look at patience. Scripture teaches us to be patient with one another. You know, sometimes it's the most hardest thing to be patient with the ones who are most closest to you. And that's sibling, that's parent, that's the other parent, that's the other sibling. It's hard to be patient with them. And it starts from childbirth, from day one. That's where it starts. It's hard to be patient with one another. And you know what? When you have kids, you're going to have a hard time being patient with them. You know, back in the day, I can get dressed in two minutes and be out. Now it's a whole 45 minutes to an hour. Here you go. Be patient, Andy. But that's patience. Scripture teaches us to think of others more highly than yourself. To think of others first. To think and put others before you. This is patience. It's patient when we're able to be patient with one another. Standing in lines. We've seen lines in the past few months. When you're anything and everything. You're patient. We can't be patient without the presence of God. The book of James chapter 5 verse 7. James chapter 5 verse 7 says this. Be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late gains. Rains. I'm sorry. Scripture teaches in the book of Peter that, I will paraphrase this, but it's found in Peter that it says this, and be patient for God's judgment is coming and it'll come. But just as he was patient with you when you didn't know Christ and then you knew him and now you're waiting for him, be patient for God is still patient with those who are not yet saved because he wants all mankind to be saved. I'm sorry I paraphrased it. But when God was patient with us at one point in our lives, when we lived in rebellion, lived against his word, when we lived in disobedience against God, why didn't he end our life right there? He's able to, yet he was patient with us. And so we come to the knowledge of God, we're saved, we're growing in Him, and now we're looking at those who are not saved. And Scripture reminds us, be patient. Why? Because God is patient with those as well, just as He was patient with us. Because those two may come to salvation. Patience. God is patient. And He calls us to be patient. And James gives us this example of the farmer. He you sees the fruit. He planted it. He waits patiently, patiently, patiently until the fruit is produced and the crop is harvested. Now, Scripture reminds us to be patient. Without God, we are not able to be patient. That's why we always ask, God, 
Grant me patience. I need it. I snapped at my kids today. I snapped at my sibling today. I snapped at somebody at work today. I snapped at so on and so on and so on. I need your patience. Please give me patience, God. Amen. Has anyone ever said a simple prayer like this before? Yes? No? Have you ever dealt? I see a few hands. Good. Me too. Have you ever dealt with impatient people? No, I come in, yell at you, and yelling, and yelling, and yelling, and yelling. Well, what do you do? You just patiently, quietly stand. That's it. What can you do? Yell back? No. We have to be patient. Why? Scripture also teaches us to be kind. Kindness. Kindness and goodness. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, be kind. Just be kind with one another. This is what Scripture teaches us to do. Be kind with one another. What does kind look like? Can somebody give an example of what kind may look like? Reading these fruits, these virtues or characteristics or whatever it may be, what does kindness look like? Uh, I'll, I'll give an example. How about a mom? Is a mom kind? If your mom is kind, just lift your hand. Lift your hand. Amen. Our moms are kind. Okay, if your mom's not kind, is your dad kind? Yeah. Praise God. Praise God that there are kind parents out there in the world. What about another character from Scripture that showed kindness other than Jesus Christ? Name one out loud, please. Who? The Good Samaritan. That's very good. I had that written. Who else? Jesus Christ, yes, other than him. Who else? Who was kind? Huh? You think about this. And you keep thinking who else was kind in Scripture. And as you're reading God's Word, look for kindness throughout people. A kind-hearted person is never self-centered. Why? Because they're thinking of others, not just themselves. Do you like self-centered people? Ask yourself a question. Do I like a self-centered person? The answer 100% of the time is no. No, it's not. It's very simple. It's very practical. Yet, some reason, we all kind of struggle with this issue. And I know I struggle with this issue. It's easy to talk about, but it's hard to do. It's hard to practice. So, okay, we're kind. Then goodness, Psalm 31. Psalm chapter 31, verse 19, says these words. Psalm 31, 19. It says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. How abundant is your goodness. The Lord 
is good and his goodness is abundant to those who fear him, who serve him, who love him, who follow him. If you fear God, this is the beginning of wisdom, you're fulfilling those laws right there. If you fear God. It's that simple. Because when we fear God, we won't break those commandments right there. When we fear God, we're going to be obedient to His Word. We're going to listen to His voice. And we're going to continue to seek His goodness, His good face, His good hand. Scripture teaches a lot about how the Lord is good and He's good to those who love Him, who serve Him, who follow Him. And because God is good, and if we follow Him and are obedient to Him, then we too produce goodness. Goodness starts coming out of our hearts. Goodness starts coming out of our lives. And we start to be good towards people and give goodness towards people. We, we often, sometimes we're in the conversation, how's he, how's she, how's that person, do you like that person? And we all, yeah, he's pretty good, yeah, she's pretty good, or oh, he's really good, oh, she's really good. A really good person is a person who knows Christ because the goodness of Christ comes upon that person as well. That's what it means to have fellowship with them. All right, so kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we go to faithfulness, faithful to what? Faithful to what? We see the fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness. Faithful to whom? A Christian person, a person who knows Christ is faithful in absolutely every area in his or her life. A faithful person to God and his word is faithful to his spouse. He is faithful to those around him. Faithful to his children or her children. Faithful to the neighbors. Faithful to the church. Faithful in absolutely everything and anything he or she does. If they are faithful to God, they fear God and Because they fear God and are faithful to God, they'll be faithful in everything. They will not be stealing food stamps. They will not be stealing unemployment when they're still able to work. They will not be stealing all sorts of little, you know, you go to college and you steal this and steal that. That's not being faithful. Joseph was faithful. He was faithful with a few when his dad told him, go feed your brothers this food. That's all you got to do is feed them. He was faithful to that. He was obedient to that. Yet he was thrown in prison. He was beaten. He was rejected. He was sold into slavery. Yet he remained faithful to God. Because he was faithful to God, he was able to be faithful in everything. And he was able to be faithful to saving people's lives. When his family came up to him, he said, God sent me here so that I can come before you to save these many people. That's what it shows to be faithful to God. Gentleness. Scripture says that those who have bursts of anger, malice, deceit, they won't enter into God's kingdom. They're not gentle. Have you, have you ever seen a, a picture or someone 
holding an infant, say a month old, and yelling at the month old in, in its face. Yelling on the top of their lungs. All sorts of rude things. No, you don't. You normally, when you see someone holding an infant, you speak nicely to the infant. They smile at the infant. Why? What are they doing? They're being gentle. They're being gentle towards this infant. And Scripture teaches us gentleness. What about God's gentle whisper or God's gentle presence? When Elijah went to the mountain and said, Lord, I'm the only one left. After the fire, after the earthquake, after everything comes a gentle whisper. And that's where the Lord was. And he spoke to him. How many of you during prayer or while you're worshiping God, while you're praying in your own room, you hear a gentle whisper answering to your prayer request? Has anyone ever had that? I promise you, and I tell you the truth, that if you seek God and you read His Word and you spend time in prayer, you at one point will hear God's gentle whisper, His gentle presence come in and speak to you. And if you have not experienced that, well, that is where gentleness comes from. You see, if a person is not in Christ, they're not able to produce this gentleness or be gentle towards infants. Last time we walked on the airplane, we had Jehu 3, Abner 2, and Hannah, I think, th four months. And people just, when they see three kids come on a plane, they look at you and they go, oh, and they, they eye roll, and they go, oh, I hate babies. Oh, kids, I kid you not. And you walk in, and Katie looks at me and says, yeah, just keep walking. Let's just get to our spot. Get to the spot and the person who's sitting right next to Katie. Oh, I got the kid next to me. That's not gentle. That's not being gentle. And you think, oh, that's rude. You know, it's, it is what it is. We get used to it, you know, on the airplane. But then after the flight, oh, he got such a nice kid. Don't talk to me, please. Just, you didn't say that in the beginning, you know. Gentleness. God's gentle whisper, God's gentle presence in our life. Now, self-control. God is a God of order and structure. He's in absolute control. And because God is a God of structure and order, He is able to control Himself and contain Himself. A person that is with Christ, a Christian person, is able to contain his or herself, and have self-control. Now here's a question. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it teaches that the spirit of prophets is subject to the prophets. Why? Why? So that there may be order in the church. Imagine if there was no self-control or the prophets being able to control themselves Fifty of them would stand up at one time, and you would not know who to listen to. That's not structure. But God is a God of order. 
structure. He gives us the ability to control ourselves and have self-control over our lustly desires, over our flesh, over our thinking, over our ears, our eyes, absolutely everything. He gives us the ability to have self-control. Those who don't have self-control, the book of Titus says, are like brute beasts. Can't control. Here's a question for you. Looking at one of our contemporary songs, you know the song, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. What verse is that taken from? I just want you to think sometimes. I try to think sometimes. And if you say it's from the book of Ezekiel, because you said, oh God, you've given fire in my bones that I'm not able to hold it in. No, I wouldn't say so. The words are good. I need more of you, God. I need more of you, God. But the more when God comes into our hearts and in our lives, the more we're actually able to control our tongue, control our thinking, control ourselves, and keep ourselves under control. That's self-control. Scripture then comes and ends with, against such things there is no law. So, Looking at all these fruits of the Spirit, how are we able to practically produce this fruit in our life? You know, there's really no step one, step two, step three. All it is is this. Let's open up to the book of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to conclude here. John, chapter 15, verse 3 through eight. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words, notice the word, words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. I'll end there. How do we bear fruit? We read God's word, and his word abides in us. And his words that he spoke abide in us. And if his word, his word abides in us, then we will be abiding in him. And we will be a branch connected to the vine, and we'll be producing fruit. What does a person look like who produces all this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control without Christ? Does a person like this exist? Does a person like this exist without Christ? No. You can only be with Christ and produce this fruit. And that comes from being in a consistent fellowship with God. 
We are not able on our own to produce this fruit. We rely on God's Holy Spirit. We rely on his word. We rely on our relationship with him. We rely on the other saints because the scripture teaches that that they too may carry your burden, share each other's burden, carry each other's burden, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. When we carry one another's burden, we're being gentle towards one another. We're being loving towards one another. We're being, you name it, faithful. We're being patient, and we're producing the fruit that Christ gives us the ability to produce. Apart from Christ, you cannot produce it. Apart from Christ, I cannot produce fruit. Scripture says in this text that if we are separated from Christ, then we can produce nothing. And the one that is separated will be cut off and thrown away and burnt. So here's something practical. Read God's word daily. You and I read God's word, and after a day goes by, a week, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, we start seeing that God's word changes us from inside out. We start noticing that before I yell something, don't, don't have outfits of anger, bursts of anger. I control myself. I think to say something rude to my neighbor, and scripture says, no, no, no carry each other's burden. Love your neighbor. Okay, I, I didn't. And someone comes up and yells something else, and you again contain. This is producing fruit. But imagine if we don't read God's word. How can we produce that fruit? We can't. It's a constant reminder to us, and it changes us, and God's word sanctifies us. It cleanses us and continues to set us apart for himself, for his glory. And then 10, 15, 20 years looks by, goes by, you look back, and you say, okay, I see some fruit. I see some fruit. And that's only because Christ was able to help us to produce that fruit. So all in all, after everything, praise God that he strengthens us and encourages us to be able to do so. And that's why he receives all the glory and all the praise. Amen. 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 A person naturally on their own cannot live and practice these things unless they have Christ. So let's remember the most practical thing. Read God's word and have a relationship with Christ daily. Reading and praying. And this will help us have practical growth in Christianity. Amen.